Hello everyone and welcome fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host, Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. In this week's episode, we interview a name that many people recognize in the industry. That name is Prism Body Piercing's very own Rob Hill. Rob is a veteran of the piercing industry with over 15 years of experience and is well known for many of his unique ear projects, even creating an earmageddon category using certain pieces. He has been involved with the Association of Professional Piercers over the last few years by teaching various classes at conference. From this, Rob began offering classes to other piercers by visiting studios and sharing his knowledge with the community. That brings us to today's topic. One thing that almost every piercer has gone through is an apprenticeship. During this apprenticeship, most of us have learned a plethora of information and skills, from anatomy to sales techniques and everything in between. During Rob's travels, he started to notice a few things that every piercer should know were being left out of many piercers' skill sets and were not being taught to the current generation of our industry. So without further ado... Listen in as we give Rob a platform to discuss why asking questions is never a bad thing, the pros and cons of having a studio in the mall, and the things they did not tell you. So, Rob, just go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the industry. Sure. My name is Rob Hill. I own and operate Prism Body Piercing in West Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, this is uh, going to be my 18th year uh, as a professional body piercer, plus a couple more that we just don't talk about. And <laughs> what else? Uh, APP member, attendee, instructor. I got into the industry a long time ago. Uh, started by manufacturing jewelry and... Uh, yeah, I made jewelry for a few years and got into piercing and kind of never went back. I think you wear a lot of hats, both literally and figuratively. No, just one hat. <laughs> Our listeners are going to gain a lot from you this episode because it's going to give them a special insight because there's not many people that have been piercing as long as you and and a few others in our industry. So you've seen a lot of trends come and go and a lot of things that have stayed that may have gone away, that should have stayed. And that actually gives us a chance to talk about this week's episode. And I know you've been traveling around a lot and teaching both at your studio and at a few others. One of the things that you and I have discussed outside of this podcast is that for many years, a lot of the things that we discussed as up-and-coming piercers, there's been like certain lessons that you've noticed that some of our older, and I say older because it's been like five, six, eight years for me, some older generations of us have experienced, but a lot of current piercers haven't had those things happen to them. So I'm actually going to give you the soapbox here, just let you just discuss a few of those things and just lay down a little bit of real talk on your own. And yeah, let's see how this goes. Sure. Just go for it. One of the things that I've been 
been teaching, I've been incorporating this class idea I've had for forever, but it, it, you can't just make a class out of, uh, you know, things they didn't tell you. It's just, <laughs> it's such a loose, such uh, a broad topic, It's such a broad topic. So, uh, I started incorporating it as kind of a, a side class to the class I'm teaching just because I would be, you know, explaining something about, you know, let's say bending jewelry. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, Hey, side note, here's something they didn't tell you, you know, when you were young, uh, Hey, did you know this? And it's like, Oh shit. Yes. You need to know those things just to try and open people's minds because there's so much that we do on a daily that is just done. We don't know why we're doing it. We're just doing it. Like a new standard practice. Yeah, like there's just so many things. So uh, to elaborate, I guess, like the big elephant in the room, I, I mean, the best way for me to, to, to explain it is to explain the full picture of it all, right? So uh, we talk about jewelry standards, right? It's the big thing. Everybody's, you know, hey, you know, you can't be a good piercer unless you're using quality jewelry, right? Right. Um, so everyone jumps on that bandwagon. Right. So if we look at this jewelry standards today and the jewelry standards of 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, you know, they're very different. You know, 18 years ago when I started, uh, it was okay to use externally threaded jewelry. It was widely acceptable. You know, it was okay to use 316 L because that's all there was. You know, LVM was a brand new thing and it was really expensive and hard to get, uh, especially where I was from anyway. But, uh, the industry has pushed. Uh, society has pushed, right? So you have all these like uh, societal pressures uh, on the topic of jewelry. You know, you can't be a good piercer unless you're using quality. Well, that being said, you also have to have a statum, right? Because how can you possibly do a good piercing if you don't have a statum, right? And the list goes on, right? You have to get the steam cleaner. You've got to get the anodizer. You've got to get all the things to make you the good piercer. And then of course you got to attend the APP, right? You got to take 15 classes, you know what I mean? You got to hang out with your idol. You get back to your shop, right? That you don't own, right? And then you start changing all the policies to make it better, to make it compliant, right? Right. And you try to start selling gold. Why? So you can start being a professional. And everyone jumps on these bandwagons and jumps on these trains. But that same exact piercer, right? They're still going to open sterilization, sterilization pouches. By busting tools out the back, they're going to use the same Sharpie pen on everyone to mark them out. They're you going to, <laughs> here's one of my favorites. They use the dental bib as a tray liner. I know exactly where you're going. It, it's right. one of those things where I honestly feel we do, a, we do a great job of explaining to a degree why certain things are, let's just call them industry standard. Like, you know, having a statum or using implant grade materials or like any of those things. But I, I feel like there's this like layer of shame that nobody talks about that they won't admit they're like, Oh my God, I was doing that wrong. I need to explain or I need to fix it, but they won't admit they ever did it wrong. Or they exactly. won't admit that they don't have stuff. Like I'll be the first one to say I have never owned a statum period. <laughs> Just never had one. And I, I know I, I should quit. I'm going to quit after the, this is the final goodbye episode, but it's, it's just one of those things where like you can operate without them, but like you need to understand how to operate without them to a degree. But I understand exactly what you're saying. Right. Let let me, let me uh, pull my, pull my uh, point full circle here a bit. Um, you know, that that same piercer that's, you know, got the statum, got the, you know, steam cleaner, got the, the APP classes that they spent thousands of dollars on. Right. Um, 
they're they're using tray liners. Uh, sorry, dental bibs as tray liners. There, uh, what else they do? Uh, using gauze as a drape, right? They're bending, uh, you know, captive bead rings with brass line pliers. You know, they're using nostril screws, right? And and of course, they're not even using sterile gloves. Now, I bring this up because <laughs> people spend thousands of dollars to improve their situation. You know, to get all those cool to- those cool tools to be the cool piercer, so they can be, you know, up to, up to snuff. But all their efforts are going to be negated by poor practice. Right? Yeah. Why use proper jewelry and the best sterilizer if you're going to scratch up that surface of the jewelry and contaminate it before you even pierce it? It's pointless. I understand, and I know that you're extremely adamant about repolishing and taking care of jewelry after like bending it and things like that. But that's, that's one of those things that I don't think a lot of people think about. And I know there's two different camps and there's two different opinions and there's, there's always another side of the coin and opinions. Why are we going to fight for quality jewelry and using the best quality? If you're just going to destroy it when you put it in, what's the point? Right. You're asking for the best quality jewelry, but you're going to screw it up. You're asking for the best sterilizer, but you're not going to use sterile jewelry. You're not going to use sterile needles when you pierce because you're going to contaminate them. To me, this is inexperience. To me, this is uh, an illogical practice. Um, people are wasting their time and their money trying to improve because they're not focusing in the right areas. They were not told certain things. You know, it, it, To me, it just blows my mind, right? Like, I, I, I get so frustrated with it you know, because I see, um, I, I see people doing this. And I, I just say, I, I ask myself, like, you're trying, you know, they're, they're the coolest thing on Instagram right now, but they're, <laughs> they're directly destroying things. And it's like, Hey man, the nineties are over, you know? And that's what I'm looking at is like, we've evolved from using crappy jewelry, but you're still destroying it, you know, or you preach, you know, sterility or you preach, you know, a certain thing. And then they just do the opposite. And it's just such a. I think, from your standpoint, especially from being within the industry for such a long time, you have seen it go from when you started compared to now. There's been leaps and bounds and all these huge, massive changes. Mm-hmm. And then you see people kind of resetting or like pushing the progress back because they're not taking care of. I don't want to say taking care of, but addressing things the way that they should be at the level that we're at currently. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's look at the, the dental bib, right? A dental bib is a dental bib. It's for the dental industry. It's to catch drool. We're not dentists. Why are we using dental bibs? I mean, if we're using it for drool, I mean, that makes sense. But if we're using it as a tray liner, that makes no sense. Let's use tray liners. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, hey, let's use a drape. Well, I don't have a drape, so I'm just going to use, you know, a piece of gauze. Sorry, dude, gauze is gauze. Gauze is not a drape. Right. Like, I don't, I don't have any piercing needles, so I'm just going to use a safety pin. That's about how stupid it sounds to me. Right. I can see that. Me personally, like the dental bib, I basically just put that on the tray as an easy cleanup method. But I put, of course, like when I open my sterile gloves, like I create the field on that just so it's easier cleanup. But I can see the argument for just using the sterile, like the sterile glove tray. Like I can, I totally see where you're coming from. I think a lot of piercers, at least the younger ones, don't question how it's done. They're just like, this is how it's done. This is how we've always done. So focused. Right. They're so focused on the end prize of doing the piercing, you know what I mean? Or having that, that, that sweet new gold piece hanging out of the face, uh, that they're actually just forgetting about that whole, like, 
how to set up properly, how to open a package properly. Why are you actually cleaning your tray? I mean, it makes pointless. It makes no sense to me to use a disinfectant that you spent a lot of money to use. You know, of course, you read the instructions and you know exactly how to use that product and that contact time and everything. And you clean that tray so it's perfectly disinfected. And then you sit there and put a drape over top, which you don't know the cleanliness of. Right. You just contaminated your tray, and now you're setting up on top of that. What's the point? Right. So how do you how do you go about teaching that in your classes? How do you how do I put this? If you were going to go ahead and tell like an up and coming piercer that listens to the podcast, like what would be a few things that stick out in your head that are like the major offenders? Uh, drapes is one thing that I push. You know, marking systems, uh, the, the the dental bib, of course. It's one of those things, you know, the the marking system. It's like, oh, I'm going to use this Sharpie on everybody. Well, why are you using it on everybody? That's dirty. It's like, oh, well, it's always touching clean skin. Is it? <laughs> Skin's I mean? not clean. We it's all like, know that. <laughs> right. Even though, you, well, I cleaned it, so it's clean now. It's like, well, no, <laughs> it's not. That was, uh, that was something we did back in the day, you know? Like, yeah, man, we use the same Sharpie on everybody. Then we got on the toothpick kick, you know? Now it's 2017. We have individual single-use marking pens, you know? Not, are they, not only are they single-use, but you can give them to your client, and they're disposable, and they look professional, you know? You take a marking pen versus a toothpick. I'm sorry. The marking pen looks way more professional than a toothpick. Right. So I'll spend the extra dollar, and I'll get the, uh, the more professional look. Now, what do you have to say for the people that are in a situation where they, for example, like adding a dollar to their setup fee is a difficult thing to do for them. What suggestions would you make to them to like improve the situation so that they can get up to that level? Well, I think a lot of people are not in the situation that is ideal for them. Right. So most piercers are not in the most ideal situation. They often are in a position where uh, they have nobody around them to help them. You know, they're in, they're the body piercer in a world full of tattoo artists, uh, with a tattoo artist boss, uh, or business owner boss that knows nothing and nobody can relate to their situation. And they're trying to improve it on their own by telling the boss, Hey, you need to spend more money on jewelry. And Hey, you need to spend more money on a new sterilizer. And Hey, we got to get part of the cool kids club and do all these things. And I commend them for their efforts in trying, but they're going about it the entire wrong way. Uh, because it's not about, Hey, getting a statum or Hey, getting new jewelry or Hey, getting, you know, whatever the, the, the new process is. Uh, it's about getting somebody to help them get there. You know, why fight the battle of trying to change a business? Why don't you just get into a, a, a business that is that way? Right. That you can surround yourself with two or three or five body piercers that you can learn from and grow where you don't have to convince the boss to get internally threaded jewelry. Just use the internally threaded jewelry at this better location. You know, like, and I think for that has to do a lot with the piercer ego, you know, because that piercers already made it. They're already at the top of the food chain where they're the piercer in the shop and they're, they're feeling it. They're in the right spot. They're right where they want to be. Unfortunately, they don't know anything. So it's hard to step back and say, Hey, yeah, uh, I don't really know everything. So I'm going to start at this other shop where I'm going to be the bottom toad. That is a very hard pill to swallow. Like it, it, a lot oh, of yeah. people really have a hard time doing that. And, uh, in our episode with Adam Richens, uh, both him and I discussed how, you know, it's not a bad thing to take one step back, make, like reassess, make new goals, and decide that 
maybe I need to relearn what I've been taught to try to make yourself right. into a better and not only better, but a more desirable piercer. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think that is the biggest thing. Uh, things they didn't tell you, like you can't learn on your own. <laughs> you know, it's going to take you forever. It took me 10 years to learn so much, but the availability of tech, uh, of people today, the experiences, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, the APP, I mean, you name it, the education, the knowledge, you can get what I learned in 10 years in two years if you know how to do it. Right. You know, I spent so, so much time trying to learn, you know, the trial, the error, the, you know, screwing things up and learning all the things that you can actually learn. Um, unfortunately, the things that are easily learned, you know, on the internet and at, you know, different classes and conferences are all super sellable ideas. You know, let me teach you how to sell gold. Let me teach you about making jewelry sparkle and let me teach you about making it purple and blurple, right? But they don't talk about how to open a sterilization pouch, right? They're not talking about how to actually bend open a captive bead ring without scratching the fuck out of it. Yeah. Right? There's there's always the sorry, there's always the wishy-washy information right. too where it's like, well, sterile gloves are really good and it's the way to go, but it's okay if you don't use them. No. Pick a side. Either use sterile gloves and do a sterile procedure or don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can't have the, it's okay that you're trying in this very new millennial coddled age of, it's okay that you're trying. Uh, no. The 90s are over, man. Nostril screws? Why are you still using them? Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that ship has sailed. We don't use fishtail labrets anymore. Why? Because a flatback labrette is a better alternative. So why are we still using nostril screws? A flatback labrette is going to be a better alternative. Right. I always think that possibly at conference, and I owe my career to going to my first conference, I will preach that from the rooftops. Like it made me my connections and gave me the chance to realize what I was doing incorrectly and you know improve on those things. But I, I honestly think that maybe possibly – you know, in the future, whether a piercer independently or possibly a future class like a back to basics might be a good idea for a lot of people because those basics may not be the things that a lot of people know how to do. And and we do like and not saying we, but there are many classes that go over how to correctly open and use a tray and things of that nature. But mm-hmm. let's be real, like when you have a class that is that and then another class which is how to sell gold or, you know, something that conflicts with that, that is way, let's be real. Let's way cooler. You're probably going to take the way cooler class. Absolutely. Because we already know, we already think we know things. Right. And I think that is the, one of the most dangerous mentalities that you can have as an individual. Every, every time I go to conference, I try to take classes that I've already taken. And even if I take one thing away from it, it's still super valuable to me and it was worth my time to take it. I think unfortunately some, like I just said, you know, people think that they've already, they know these things. They don't need to go to that class. So they, they don't need to waste their time doing it. And I I think that's a really dangerous opinion to have. Right. So let me, let me make a point here. Have you taken a bloodborne pathogens class? Are you asking me personally? Yeah. You personally, the amount of, you're asking a former funeral director. So the amount of BBP classes that I've taken, (laughs) rivals everything, (laughs) like every piercer. Right, right. But but you've taken a blood pathogens class. Now, you you took it the year before too, right? And you took it the year before that and the year before that because that class is mandatory every year. And it's four hours of grueling redundancy. 
but you have to take it to maintain probably uh, state licensing, uh, if not your AP right. membership. Right. So what basic classes are redundant that are absolutely required to be a piercer? There are none. You know, and that's why I think having uh, basic classes uh, would be fantastic requirement for APP membership. Like, hey, you have to renew your basic 101 how to set up a piercing tray. You have to do that every two years. I could see possibly like a refresher class or something among those lines I think would be really beneficial to a lot of people or perhaps – I actually I can't remember it or not. But I think in the, the – have you taken the Bloodborne Pathogens for the the one that the APP puts out? Do they do a tray setup and breakdown? I in they that? Do. Yes, okay. They do. All right. I was going to say, like, because the last time that I took that, I noticed that and I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome because they usually don't show that. But, you know, how many people are going to take that class? I know that we're the industry itself is very adamant that you should take a class that is geared specifically towards the industry that you're in. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is great, but maybe possibly having like a, like an informal video that we could talk about, like opening things up and things of that nature might, might help out a lot of people too. Right. But it's a great, it's a, it's a great idea until you get people that are stuck in their position and they're like, no, it's totally fine to use a dental, a dental bit. It's totally fine to use this. It's totally fine to do that because that's what I've always done. Um, and you have these people that'll fight you tooth and nail. It's the sterile glove thing. You know what I mean? Who's right? Who's wrong? I'm sorry. There's a winner and a loser in that in that conversation. There's no way that you can tell me that using sterile gloves is, uh, or sorry, not using sterile gloves is better. You know, like <laughs> the, the, you can't win that argument. I'm very gray in the neutral area for this. Like one of the things that I always compare, or at least not compare, I always state to people is, well, we've done it for X amount of time and it's worked. Why change it? And my response to that is, well, people get shot with guns and still live. Does that mean that everyone can get shot with a gun? Like, it, it's it's one of those things where, like, if it has happened in the past and it worked, I'm glad that it worked. Right, but I, I pierce people with externally threaded some form of stainless steel. That's what I used to pierce people with and no one died. Well, why do I choose to, to have a better quality now? Because I've grown as a professional. So – if I'm choosing not to grow, that means I'm accepting the, the complacency of my position. Like, what does that say about me? Right. And there's a lot of people find comfort in complacency. Like, you know, this is how it is. This is how I do it. I'm cool with it. And then as soon as you kind of give them that little push outside of their comfort zone, it makes people uncomfortable, throws off their game. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to it. You know, things, things like that. And I mean, you and I can honestly sit here and – talk about the drape no drape like argument like we could talk about 15 different you know arguments between the two of us and it's it's one of those things where unfortunately there are two sides of the argument and people are going to fight no matter what it is and I, I may be misinterpreting you but i think the big thing that it comes off that you're stressing is understanding why we do certain things and understanding why we should change certain things is is extremely important Right. I think understanding that where we were 15 years ago and the changes that we made in jewelry or in skin prep or in, you know, the polish, the surface finish, the things that we've, we've, in, in, we've ingrained in our brains, sterility, statum, steam cleaners, you know, steam cleaners 10 years ago, no one was doing that. You know, uh, when you get jewelry from a jewelry company, you need to clean that stuff. And if you don't know that, you're missing something. Well, we never did before. Yeah, I know. 
I used to make jewelry. I know exactly what we sent to people and how clean it was. In my opinion now, it still needs to be cleaned. And how one company cleans jewelry is different than how another company cleans jewelry, which is different from how the third company cleans jewelry. So if you have three different people cleaning things three different ways, what you're getting is an inconsistency. So as a business, you need to create that consistency so you have a standardized, clean level of jewelry that you're putting inside people's bodies. You're the end user. You're responsible for what you put inside people. That's an extremely valid point that you know each – each company cleans it a specific way. There is no standard for that. So taking the extra step to clean it is an important step. But then there's the – and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. There's always the counter argument that is, well, shouldn't each place be cleaning their product to a certain standard? Oh. I know, I know that it, I know you're going to fire off on this because it makes you so hot. I know that it does. But I'm just, I'm just pointing out there's always – the big thing I'm stressing is there's always two sides of the coin. And I think that's one of the things that we have right now is there's, there's two different thought processes and it's very hard for everyone to come together and decide on one thing instead of having their own opinion on it. Right. So the, the body piercing industry has looked over the shoulder uh, and over the fence onto the medical community for years. Right. Uh, that's how we came up with, hey, what jewelry is safe for the body? Well, what's an implant? You know, and let's make jewelry out of implant grade materials. That way we know it's safe. Absolutely. Uh, is it safe for implants? Yes. Is it safe for body piercing? Well, we would assume so. Right. Because it's safe for implants, it must be safe for body piercing. That's only what we can see. But we don't have any trials and studies that says, hey, guess what? You know, F 136 titanium or 1295 is safe for skin for body piercings. We don't have any specifics like that. We're popping over to the medical community. You know, and we do the same with sterilization. We do the same with surface preparation. So when you talk to a surgeon, right, and that surgeon does implants, well, when he gets his implants, his impl implants are already surface passivated. They are sterilized. It gets handed to him and he puts it inside the body, right? As a body piercer, we have to wear every hat. You know, we have to do the, you know, clean the dirty tools and we have to do all the piercings and we have to do the taxes and we have to, you know, do the, the, the customer service. We have to do everything. So when we get our jewelry and it's not all prepped for us, uh, I wish it was. And when you talk to jewelry companies about, hey, you should uh, prepare the, the surface of the jewelry um, to implant grade standards, their response is, well, we don't make implants. We make belly button rings. I can see that. Because they don't want to have the liability of having that be screwed up. They have no control over that. That's something that as soon as it leaves their facility, it's out of their hands. Right. They can't guarantee that because we're not uh, a business uh, entity like the medical community. So counter argument to that, I've actually worked in sterile processing before mm -hmm. um, at a major hospital. I've processed surgery trays. I've processed, you know, implant tools, like things like that. There's there, there are quality checks into that. And there, some are sealed, some are not, some are put together. You know, it's a, it's a crazy thing. But my thing is, is do you think that it should fall on the person who gets the materials? Or do you feel like it should be manufacturers upping their own quality control? Because the same thing could be said about doctors versus piercers and doctors presuming that everything that they get is 100% ready to rock and roll. I think we need to stop looking over the fence at the medical community. I understand that we're very separate. I'm just kind of giving you like a, like a different viewpoint on what could be perceived. At the end of the day, I'm the one that has to pay my insurance. I'm the one that has to go to work every day. I'm the one that has to go to bed knowing what I did every day. So 
I'm going to sleep real good knowing that I did the best job possible. I'm going to go to sleep knowing that all the jewelry from all the manufacturers that I got is equally clean. I know this because it's something that I do. Right. This is what we do. We spend hours cleaning our jewelry. Right. And I think um, it's a commendable thing to go above and let's let's be not I'm gonna I'm not gonna say real, but like let's be honest, like you are going industry above and beyond what a lot of people do by yeah, we're, taking we're care going of your jewelry. The roof and, right. Yeah. What we do is above and beyond, and it's ridiculous, crazy, and and so many times I've heard people say it's overkill. But then I ask, well, what do you do? And they say nothing. It comes clean. <laughs> and when you find hair and dirt and debris uh, on the jewelry, you you can't say that that's acceptable to sterilize and put in somebody's body. Like I I can't, <laughs> I can see it. Like it's not even just like some made up thing. It's like there's actual fingerprints that I'm just going to put into my sterilizer and bake on whatever's on that jewelry. And then I'm going to put it inside somebody's body, inside their body that's going to interact with their blood, their blood interacts with their heart and their brain. Maybe I should be a little bit more careful what I'm putting inside people's body. I'm going to make sure to spend that extra money to make sure it's an implant grade. I'm going to make sure that that polish is perfect. I'm going to make sure I'm using sterile gloves. Well, I should probably clean the jewelry too, because my manufacturer isn't. They're cleaning it clean to a sellable satisfaction, but I'm the one that's taking the liability. I'm the one that if the customer has a problem, they're coming to me. They're not going to one of my jewelry companies and saying, yeah, your jewelry gave me an infection. Right. Your jewelry did this or your jewelry. No, it's all coming back to me. So it's my responsibility. So should uh, the, the jewelry company do it? Oh, I wish they would. That would be fantastic. It's be so much easier, but the responsibility lies on me today. And that's why I do it. Every time that a product passes hands from one person to another, I honestly feel like there should be some sort of quality control check done, such as mm -hmm. checking for debris, you know, like hair or fingerprints or anything like that, or the consumer, like, let's, let's even break it down even further. Even the consumer looking at it and being like, yes, that is the gem that I wanted to get or be like, yes, that looks like it's what I picked out. You know, I, I really do think that there is a valid point in, checking the things that you get. And then, you know, you, like I said, going to through the ceiling, as you put it, making sure that all this stuff is to, I'm going to say prism standards to make sure that it is what is acceptable for your studio. And I think that is commendable. This is where it gets difficult and more, more so for the, ju the, the jewelry company. The customer looks at that, you know, that naval jewelry, that naval curve, and they say, wow, this is a beautiful piece of jewelry. They look at the sparkles. They look at that individual piece of jewelry and how the internal threads work and it tightens up and it's a beautiful piece of jewelry. When I look at it, well, I didn't buy just one of those CZ naval curves. I bought, I bought, I bought 20, right? So I look at all 20 and I say, yeah, all of these are very good. Very happy with these. But when the jewelry company looks at it, they didn't make 20. They made 200 or 2000. Right. You know what I mean? So the, the microscope, the scope of looking at it uh, from the customer perspective is just the end product of what they got. Uh, when the manufacturer is looking at it, they're like, hey, we just sold 2,000 belly button rings. And, you know, where's the flaws? You know, they're trying to look at it. So to do individual inspections to find dirt and debris in this is going to cost an obscene amount of money for them to do. Uh, they, they have checks in place. You know, of course, things fall through the cracks and we find those. You know, because we're only looking at a batch of 20 out of that 2,000, um, but the customer's looking at that individual one. 
So again, it's hard to get the company to focus in and find all the flaws in a single piece of jewelry when they're mass producing these things in thousands of runs. Right. But there's that old, you know, when they first created assembly lines, one of the problems they had is people get bored on them. <laughs> and like, I'm only going to put this windshield wiper on for three seconds instead of the five seconds, you know? And like, there's, unfortunately, that's a side effect of doing, you know, assembly line type things. And I mean, it may be different with machines and whatnot, but, you know, there are, there, whenever you add a human element, you run the gambit of possibly having some sort of error because humans aren't perfect. Right. Here's another thing that they didn't tell you. <laughs> when you get your jewelry orders in, you need to look at it and make sure that it's proper. Not only for the sizing and make sure the thread patterns are correct, but also making sure that the materials are polished properly, making sure that the threads actually work. You know, they don't test each and every piece. Again, look at a 14-gauge, 316 titanium ball. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I order those in because they're a very popular, you know, size or 12-gauge, 316, right? Not all of them are checked individually. They're manufactured and they're sent out the door. And I get jewelry in. And I look at it, I'm like, yeah, these went through the polishing room rather quick because I can see, you know, scratches on them. I can see porosity. I can see where balls were only polished on one side, but not on the other. And this is a common thing. And I ask piercers, hey, you know, when you get a jewelry order, how much of that jewelry order do you send back? I'm like, oh, I haven't sent anything back in in years. (laughs) Wow. Because I send jewelry back all the time. (laughs) Like with one company, uh, I sent 12 orders back in nine months. That's crazy. <laughs> Not the entire order, but parts of those orders, right? right? There's always something on an order that I'm like, hey, this is right. You got to fix this. Now, I tell them so that they can address the issue and get it fixed, and they always do, usually. But uh, <laughs> they definitely, you know, you, you start to become a big thorn in their side when you keep complaining. But it's one of those things. If you're not sending jewelry back on a regular basis, why am I? You know, what am I seeing that you're not? Or what are you seeing that I'm not? You know what I mean? Like, it's many things that we find that have little imperfections we can fix in our studio just because, again, we're set up for uh, jewelry manufacturing. So we can, you know, finish up the polish on certain things. And that's worth our time uh, just because it's, you know, we'll have that, that same product ready to go later that day or the next day rather than shipping it off for two days and waiting for two days for it to get back. And you know what I mean? Right. Uh, we can have it turned around quite fast, but uh you know, there's there's companies that make more mistakes than others, but they all do. There's one jewelry company that we uh, certain products from, uh, and we repolish absolutely everything we get from that company. So here's here's a question for you: if sure. if you're spending that much time, and I'm not saying it's a pro or a con, if you're spending that much time reprocessing the jewelry that's sent to you, do you reflect that in the price that you sell them for because it adds so much added time? To the process? I mean, honestly, the amount of time that it takes for us to clean up a a certain product uh, really doesn't take a whole lot of time. You know, like it's a pain in the butt, but I mean, it's an extra, you know, it's an extra 45 minutes. It's an extra hour uh, to do things. Um, Does that reflect in our price? Not really. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we have a pretty, I I would say standard markup on certain things, but it's one of those things to keep a consistency um, of product out there. You know, I'm not happy with the finish that we get on certain things. You know, nobody's making it the way I want it to be made. You know, no one's doing it to the level I want it to be done. In. Right. Um, so, you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself. That's kind of my, you know, 
school idea, I guess. Do you think that your past in jewelry making has affected how you feel about these things? Or do you feel that this is just something you expect out of the level of our industry now that you have seen where it's come from to where it currently is? I'm torn in this answer, right? Because I have two. I'm a firm believer that the jewelry manufacturers should do their job and they should be providing a product. Uh, and if that product is not 100%, you shouldn't buy it, right? You know, you know, vote with your money. Yeah, kind of like thing. speak with your dockets. Absolutely. So that's it. Uh, as a body piercer, uh, it's not my job to refinish jewelry. It's not my job to clean the jewelry. It's not my job to do these other things. It's my job to do piercing. So um, to my employees, uh, to you know, a guest artist or anyone that's coming into my shop, you're the piercer. You do piercings. You're not here to polish jewelry. You know, uh, that goes under just the, the realm of experience that I have. I can, so I will. You know, I don't think it's something that uh, that piercers should do. We should be aware of these things. We should know about these things. We should have the eye to be able to pick up what porosity is, you know, what orange peel is, and how to identify little scratches and common spots that you'll see, you know, from machining and, you know, how to find imperfections. We should be able to do that. To fix it? Not really. No, I don't think that's the job of the piercer. I was just curious because I know that like you have such an extensive background. I don't know if it would like influence how you feel about certain things or, or not. I do think you've made a considerable amount of valid points on things that had I don't e I don't even know. I th- I feel like we've almost like shifted topics just a little bit on like the things you shouldn't take for granted. Like you know, like I, hell man, I, that's a great sub episode. <laughs> like I, I really think it's interesting because, you know, you've brought up a lot of topics that have, you know, started to get my mind to start thinking about certain things that maybe I should be a little more diligent when I'm processing an order or, you know, think about every little step that I do throughout the day and what I should and shouldn't change. A long time ago, I had a, uh, a person approach me. They were a new piercer in the industry. And they were, you know, going on and on about how they use this business and get them all to internal jewelry and all this kind of stuff. And I'm in my mind, I'm, I'm just laughing. I'm like, that's not going to happen, you know. And <laughs> I like the energy, but you're in the wrong position. And I said, hold on a second, let me just ask you a couple of questions. What kind of hard surface disinfectant are you using? And they're like, oh, I don't even know. I don't even know what it's called. I'm like, oh, maybe you should let me know. Like, just you know. When you find out, just just send me a, a message. Let me know. And uh, sure enough, a couple of days go by. I get this uh, message that it tells me the the topic or the the name of the the product. So I go and I research this product and uh, I learn all about it. And then I have a conversation with this person later, and I say, "So back to that product. You know, you got the name of it. Oh yeah, this is the name." And I'm like, "Yeah. Um, how do you use that product?" They're like, oh, well, we just spray it on the tray, and then we wipe it up. I'm like, okay. So, I mean, you don't wear gloves, do you? And they're like, no, no, no. No, we just spray it down. It kills all the germs, and then we just wipe it up with a, with a paper towel and a bare hand. That makes me cringe so bad. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how long do you leave the product on? And they're like, well, we just, you know, we just spray it down just to get it wet, and then it kills the germs. And then we, well, how long does the product stay, though? Like, well, it just, you know, until it's wet. And I got them to commit to a time that they said they left it on there for about to let it work. Now, this sounds like a miracle product to me, you know, because, I mean, think about it. You can spray it down directly on a tray. You wait three seconds, and then you can wipe it up with your bare hand. That sounds either incredibly amazing product or incredibly stupid and dangerous. 
It turns out that this is a toxic product that you need to wear a mask for, of course, gloves. Uh, it's a two-stage product, one with a 30-second um, pre-soak and then a 10-minute soak as the second stage. It blew my mind. And as I explained to them how to use this product, they were <laughs> they were shocked to know. And I'm sitting there like, you need to ask why. You need to ask why. Like, hey, we're going to use this product. Well, why are we using this product? Why is this the best product? Why aren't we using other products? And once you start answering those why questions, you know, oh, because it's the greatest product in the world. Well, why? What makes it the greatest product in the world? You know, and you start researching, all of a sudden you're going to realize that half the things you do just don't make any sense because we never asked why about our heart surface disinfectant or why we're using that dental bib or why we're using gauze as a drape. You know what I mean? Or why we're using internally threaded quality jewelry versus externally threaded jewelry. You know, we got to ask those why questions and that's going to help shape us. But we never ask why on certain things. I think critical thinking is, oh God, here comes like Will Von Dad. Like I think critical thinking is <laughs> one of those valuable tool sets that a lot of individuals are losing. I think a lot of people have stopped asking why and just accepted because. And those are, that's in my opinion, absolute most terrifying way of thinking, period. That's the way we've always done it, Will. Well, no yet. until that guy dies, like I, I understand. And I, and I mean, I, I may disagree with you on a few things. Like I agree with you on a few things, but I think a lot of people need to take that one step back and research what's going on. Okay. So this is terrifying. So right now I'm in college, um, again, and one of the things that blows my mind are these things called clickers. Okay. And this may, I don't know if you know what these are. But basically, I have to pay 50 bucks for this stupid TV remote and then pay another $50 for it to work. And then during class, they will ask polls on a question. And I shit you not, in my classes, they've been like, do you understand? Yes or no? And it shows a graph <laughs> because people are afraid to ask questions. So it's just like, right. hey, like if you ask a question, that doesn't make you look dumb. Like – just because you don't get something, it's okay to be like, hey, I don't get that. Can you please explain it to me? Because case in point, like I'm terrible at math. Like every 30 seconds, I was like, can I just see you after class? Because I don't understand anything that you're talking about right now. And I have to like sit down and like figure it out. And I mean, it's it's shitty to admit to yourself that I don't get it or I really don't know what's going on. But that fake it till you make it doesn't work in the real world. It may work in like high school. But just go ahead and ask questions. You know, it, it's not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. It's it's because I guarantee you that every per every question that you ask, there's about like 15 to 20 people that are wondering the same exact thing. They're just afraid to ask. I totally agree. You know, and that's very evident at uh, at at conference. You know, you'll you'll go to any class and there's a room of 300 people, and it's like, okay, is there any questions? And you know, nobody asks questions. Or that one brave person comes up and says, yeah, what does gauge mean? You know what I mean? And it's like half the class goes like, oh, my God, this is so funny. But at the same time, you know, as funny as that is, it's like if that person doesn't know, I mean, shit, they're there to learn. Yeah. You, know, you can't give money. them crap. They're, they're trying to get um, info. They pay money. Oh, exactly. So I love it when people ask questions, no matter how ridiculous it is. Because uh, if you don't know, you don't know. Uh, and that's why, again, I'll, I'll tell my employees, ask that why question. Um 
Because if you know everything, but then you just don't know one thing, that's going to crumble the structure of what you know. You know, it's the it's the weak link concept. You know, everything that we know is based off you know experience and time. So if, if we're missing something out of our experience, it's we can't base other information off of that. So yeah, the uh, the asking of questions, the asking of silly questions, best thing in the world. Um, but and I, that's kind of where I get to that things they didn't tell you. You know, that whole kind of original concept is we learned how to pierce. And when I learned how to pierce, it was like, this is how you do nose. And I'm like, that's awesome. Now I want to do a double nose and then I want to do a triple nose, you know, and I want to do it more hardcore and extreme. Uh, but I wasn't asking the right questions like, how do I do this safer? How do I have the customer have a better experience? You know, those are questions that I ask now really hard. Piercers want to get better, but they're learning the wrong things in the wrong order. Going back to, to conference again, uh, part of the, the mentor team. I don't know. Have you been a, a mentor at conference? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you have. Yeah. So when I get a mentee, the first thing I do is I say, okay, I know you have about 15 or 16 classes. And they're like, yep, we've got a full schedule. <laughs> and I'm like, I know you're excited, but my advice, cut them in half. And I will strongly advise them to take less classes. You know, And they were trying to maximize their what they can get out of it. Um, but the problem that I have is I still have uh, handouts from classes three years ago that I still haven't applied to my business. You know what I mean? It's like you take that studio documentation class. Right. Right? Brilliant, brilliant class. Who goes home and actually creates an employee? That handout? class is heavy. It's, it's, it's a great. very heavy class. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I did take a lot from that class. I, like, you know, threw together, like, my MSDS and, like, all sorts of stuff like that. But uh, that is, like right. – and it's usually offered really early in the morning. It's really heavy for a lot of people because it's so much information. Right. And I think you might be a little bit different than a lot of people. But when I see people taking a class like that, they'll go in, they'll take a couple notes, and they're like, okay, cool. You know, I heard what they have to say, and I'll just carry on doing my thing. And the trick is, is it's like people pick and choose what they want to apply. They cherry pick the information. They take the classes they want to take, and they're not necessarily taking the classes they should take. Uh, furthermore, when they get home, they're not applying what they learned. Right? You talk to that one person, they just took the, the gold class, right? But they don't have gold. They don't even buy the jewelry for the shop. Well, why did they take that gold class? They can't apply anything that they did. Well, one day they want to. Well, I can agree with that. I understand. But couldn't you have used a better class right now that you can apply tomorrow? And then maybe next year you'll be in that position to use gold, buy gold, and then you can take that gold class. You know, like it just, like, let's take the statum class. Do you have a statum? No. Can you buy a statum? No. <laughs> nothing applies to them, but they're taking these classes. So my advice to newbies is take classes that you can apply. You know what I mean? Take classes that you know a lot about. You know, what is your strong suit? Take that class. What is your weakest suit? Take that class. And what are you interested in? Take that class too. So maybe that interest is datum, or maybe that interest is the gold, but you shouldn't take all classes that you know nothing about. You should take classes that you know about. Because you might think you know everything about steel and titanium until you take the steel and titanium class and you're ass handed. Right. And that's happened to me. You know what I mean? Like, not, not with steel and titanium, but like, there's been a few classes and I'm like, uh oh, like, I am very wrong here. <laughs> and then I just like stay laser focused the whole time. Uh, I was going to mention this earlier. Uh, I can't remember where it was, but this seems like a great place to put it in. But it was uh, reaffirming the information that you already have, uh, you know, taking classes and you know, some of the basic stuff. Uh, I think it was my third or fourth uh, conference that I took. 
uh, I went back, promised myself I'd take classes that I know about and classes I didn't know about. I was like, I need to take a class that I know lots about. And I was looking down the list and I saw basic uh, size and style, basic jewelry, size and style taught by John Johnson. Oh my God. It was straight up like a, a PowerPoint. Right. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm in the back trying not to laugh, but you know, John Johnson's right up at the front there and he's like, this ladies and gentlemen is a captive bead ring. He said it with a straight face. And I was just like, so laughing. Cause I'm like, I know this, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is such an elementary class. Uh, but by the end of that class, I learned something. I learned a lot actually. And it may not have been about what a captive bead ring is or what a barbell is. Some of those basic things, but I learned about John. I learned about teaching. I learned about, uh, sharing information. Um, I learned, I learned what, uh, what was it when, uh, people come in with a little black spot on their nose from wearing silver Argeria. I learned what Argeria was in that class. I knew what it was before. I just didn't know the name of it, you know? And it was like, Oh my God, I took this class that I totally thought I would know everything. And I learned something from it. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge thing because it's just those little details. And that's why I like taking the same classes over and over and over, either by the same or different instructors, is that you'll be able to pick up those nuances. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've taken steel and titanium, but every time I go in there, I understand it deeper and more thoroughly. Right. There's nothing ever wrong with retaking classes either, because I've, I take, I think almost every conference I go to, I take at least one or two classes that I've already taken, and they allow us to get a different presenter or get different information. And it is valuable. I, I really think that it helps out to have those classes. But then I also think it's really helpful to have, you know, new classes that like multiple attendees can like learn information from. But that really stems back to what you're saying, like, take the things that you know, take the things that you need help on, and then kind of like pepper it in between on the stuff that you want to know. Right. Yeah. If it's too heavy in one direction or another, it's, it's gonna, it screws people over. Yeah. And I, I've seen it. People are like, Hey, yeah, I took all this jewelry class and all this gold class and all this kind of stuff. And it, again, they're, they're focusing on the things that they can't change. They can't apply. And they're not learning the things they need to learn how to do a piercing, how to set up clean. Those are some pretty, pretty heavy things. Yeah. <laughs> heavy things. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally understand. And I, I think you've made a lot of really valid points on the things that are super important, such as uh, basically, I, I feel like the thing that I, at least me personally, that I'm taking away from this is the fact that critical thinking is as important as it always should be. And you should always be, you know, asking questions and then also just making sure that, you know, you're not just accepting things because we've always done them that way. And I think it's, it, right. it's really, this is the reason why I wanted to, you know, have this conversation with you because I think it's really important for a person like you who is, I, I hate to use the term like a big name, but a well-known individual to lay down heavy truths like this. Like, Hey, like I'm doing this. Like there's no shame in you also doing it. I'm no exception. I have to push myself all the time to learn and become better. Right. Cause if you think you know everything, you should just retire. I will stand by that statement 110%. That's just me though. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where if you think you know everything, like you don't, you should never think that there isn't room for you to learn something new or improve yourself as an individual. Yeah, that makes complete sense. But I would ask you, what does it mean when 
you admit that you don't know everything, but you're not willing to change. Yeah, that's a dangerous mindset. I think so. So before we end this episode, someone wrote in and asked us a question, Rob, and I've been saving it for when we actually get to talk to each other. This listener wrote in that they've been considering moving locations for their studio. Recently, the idea of moving into a mall space has been discussed. One of the things that worries me is that working in a mall, owning a piercing establishment within the mall kind of has a taboo to it. Do you know what are the pros and what are the cons of doing this? Any insight would be great. And I think this is actually right. really great because your location is within a mall. We are, yeah. We're we're located within Valley West Mall and West Mall. Um, on the lower level near Yonkers. Um, it's the mall shop. Man, that's a good that's a good conversation. Uh, I'll try to keep it short and tight. So uh, pros and cons. Uh, well, I guess to just the, from how that person's business is today, moving into a mall location, there's going to be uh, pros and cons with that, uh, that I can't talk to because I started up in that location. I didn't move to that location. Um, but, uh, let's just talk about malls. Uh, malls have great pros and great cons. Um, the biggest pros of them, um, the weather is always good in the mall. That is something I've never Absolutely. thought about. It never rains. People walk around, they're comfortable in the mall. The weather's always nice. Uh, once they're inside, it's good. They're comfortable. They're not having to go out. It's like, oh, let's go get a pierce down on, you know, whatever street. And it's like, oh, it's raining. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, let's just go to the mall. You know, buy a few things, shop around, get a piercing, have a nice day. Uh, they're inside. So the weather's always great in the mall. Um, yeah, it never rains, never snows. It's always it's a nice temperature. <laughs> like, I can't stress that. Like, literally something I've never thought of when I thought about a shop in a mall. Because for me, like, I've always worked yeah. in locations that have a building that is outside. And I'm like, oh, it's raining today. Like, better uh, better do inventory today because I know it's going to be slow. And then, yeah, like, you walk into the mall. People go to the mall on rainy days. So it's probably even busier on those days. Yes. Absolutely. The weather's crappy. People want something to do, but they can't go anywhere. Well, they go where the weather's nice. You know, they gravitate towards somewhere where it's going to be nice. Um, all's that. Do you know how much parking we have? There's always a parking spot available. You know what I mean? You know, versus some shops, like, they don't have any parking. you got to park down the street and then take a train, you know, like, or, or you have to bus it or, or, you know, like, it sucks to try and park. So, yeah, the malls always have parking. So with I'm I'm just going to ask questions now because I'm genuinely curious in case I ever decide to to go that route. Those are definitely two huge pros to this and especially with foot traffic. I mean, I feel like that's something we don't even have to talk about because you're in a mall and just people walk around all the time looking for stuff to do and looking for cool things to look at. So like mm -hmm. that's just pro number 1. Do you feel that renting out your establishment within a mall is more of an expense to your industry because of the location that you're in? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, mall rent can be more expensive than somewhere else. Um, I guess that depends on the mall. That depends on the location. Um, you know, you, you don't want to open up in a crappy mall. That's for sure. And so, yeah, you know, I think a, a lot of people have this idea in their mind that all malls are kind of dingy and gross, but there's some very nice modern malls that are great. Um, and it's just like a strip mall, except it's indoors. You know, that's the only difference. But yeah, I mean, as far as uh, customers, yeah, there's always people in the mall. 
not always, but there's uh, it, the foot traffic is usually pretty good, um, which I'll get to here in a sec. That, that's kind of a pro and a con. Uh, the pro of it is we're on the front lines of education um, as a body piercing studio, which is part of you know my thing as as an educator and as someone who likes to teach. Um, I like to ask the right questions to my clients to make them think and, and get them involved in knowing what to expect from a piercing studio. Uh, from a mall, it's very easy for people to walk in. It's non-intimidating. You know, a lot of people have this idea that, a, you know, piercing studio is a tattoo studio and there's like bikers and gangs and drugs and, you know, they're going to walk into, you know, all this heavy metal and Slayer and like they're going to be very intimidated. Uh, and they just, they just want to get their nose pierced, you know? Uh, so a lot of people have this kind of preconceived idea of what it's like. Uh, but walking by in the mall, they can actually kind of stick their head in without actually walking in. And then they can realize, hey, it's not really all that scary in there. Yeah, that's got to be you know? a huge benefit. And, uh, yeah, so they walk in and there are people who just walk in. They're like, you know, this isn't really my thing, but I'm just curious as to, you know, how much a nose piercing would be. And it's like, well, let's take that curiosity and talk about it, you know? And then I show them about the studio and I can show them like, hey, this is what we do, how we are, this is how we operate, and this is the level we operate at. And they go from somebody that's never even been interested, just barely interested in a nose piercing, to being like, now I know what I want and I know where to get it. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're on, you know, the other city, the other side of town, whatever. And they walk into some other establishment and they walk in and they realize that place is kind of dingy and it's kind of gross. And I don't like the music. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going to spend my money here. Right. Cause they've seen better. So having a nice shop in a mall is the front lines and we do well with it. This also has its, it's con though, is that when people can easily stick their head in the door, they can easily right. just walk out too. And that's, I guess, the biggest perk of having a brick-and-mortar street studio is that when people go there, they're kind of stuck there. <laughs> you know, When people just kind of walk by our shop, they walk in and then they walk out. It's very easy for them to leave. So if they just don't get the price they want or they're just not happy, then they just walk out the door, no problem. Uh, I had one guy come in and ask me uh, about an ear piercing. He's looking at this jewelry, then he's looking at that jewelry, and he's going on and on and on. And about 20 minutes later, this guy still hasn't like sealed the deal on what he wants to do. So I'm kind of starting to lose a little bit of interest. He's like, yeah, my wife's getting her nails done, so I figured I'd come on over here and talk you up a bit. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that. You know? And it's like, oh, the time That's the perfect hits, name man. for him. They come in, they steal you that. Oh, man. They steal your life. And it sucks, but that's part of it. Um, but you get good at reading that. You get look at you get good at reading those people that come in just to waste your time, uh, versus people that uh, want to do or that want to get work done. Uh, so you get good at listening to how people ask questions, uh, which makes us very analytical. Um, and that way, we can treat people the way they need to be treated. You know, you know, it's like, hey, I'm just looking around. Fantastic. Look around. I'll get back to you in a second. Get back to them in a second and see them out. Of, you know, see how they're doing at that point. People go to malls to spend money. That statement is clutch. Dude, people go there to spend money. You don't go to a mall if you're broke. You know, you walk in there, you see something you right. like, you buy it. So you walk in, you're like, yeah, I think I want my nose pierced. Or I want to get new jewelry for my nose. Look what they have here. Oh my God, that's a beautiful piece. Let's get that one. Okay. You know, so we're satisfying that itch. You know what I mean? For shopping, we're satisfying that itch for people getting those new things without them having to go to wherever else, to some specialty shop, you know, in a specialty area while it's raining. 
Yeah, on downside of malls, I mean, rent can be uh, pricey. The easy in, easy out. Man, the the crap talk. I guess that's one thing that we got to talk about is as I've worked in street shops, and that's how we always said it. It's like, oh, your jewelry's not, your piercing's not doing so well because you're wearing Right, that's jewelry. something that I hear all the time. Oh, I know, but it sounds so stupid when I say it the other way. It's like, oh, yeah, you got that pierced. Yeah, it was done at a street shop. I get it. I understand why it's bad because it was done at a street shop. That's why. Street shop jewelry. Like, it makes no sense. It's like, how can other quality be defined by its location? Uh, And that's incorrect. So to anybody that is saying mall shops are bad, uh, no, mall shops are not bad. There are some mall shops that are very poor. I'll agree with that statement. But I'm going to probably say that if you look at the numbers, there's probably more street shops that suck. It's it's a weird thing. And obviously, I'm not going to say the locations that are within every mall that sell very poor jewelry. But that's where a lot of – I hear people all the time. I have personally started saying – like I will use descriptors for that shop and I'll be like, oh, did you go to the location that sells jewelry that is buy one, get 15 for free? And they're like, oh, yeah, I did. I was like, well, that's it. There's a reason why you got 15 of them for free. You know, I use that as my descriptor, but I do think a lot of people lump in mall with those shops, which in turn give shops like yourselves are uh, in a bad spot. Absolutely. I've, I've, got a, I've got a term for you and everybody to use. A novelty store. Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. A novelty store that sells novelty jewelry. Um, we all know what that is. And it's like, yeah, novelty jewelry is not designed for permanent wear, you know? Um, and, and that's how we describe the little kiosks with the crap in it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's novelty grade. What we use is professional grade jewelry, you know, and it's different. People resonate with that because it makes sense to them. You know, it's like, well, you're, it's like buying a necklace from K Jewelers or a necklace from Claire's. There's two different qualities. There's also two different prices, but one's a novelty grade necklace and one is a real necklace, you know? So yeah, we define it as novelty grade. So there are professional street shops that use novelty grade jewelry, but yeah, I mean, most shops aren't sitting around saying, oh yeah, man, them street shops, they're, they're all bad. You know, and it's just, it's funny because I hear uh, my peers say, oh, yeah, no, you don't want to go to the mall. Stay out of the mall. And it's like, dude, why are you dogging on me? You know what I mean? And I know what they mean. I know what they mean. But until you're in the mall shop doing the mall thing, uh, you know what I mean? It it, it definitely says something different. But it's just one of those things that we got to learn to correct what we say, you know, and be more descriptive with our words and, and say words that are appropriate for what we're trying to say. Right. I think I think that's a really good point to bring up. I, like you said, novelty stores is a really great term. Like, I really hope that that catches on. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate. And I mean, I wish, I really do wish a lot of things were quite different. But I think that's a really good point that you bring up. That you know, maybe we need to once again, Will Von Dead, step back, take a peek, and then go about it a different way. No, I think it's I think it's good. There's so much to learn and explore in our industry. Um, and we can all be better people, better piercers by just doing the smallest little things, whether it's how we say something or it's how we describe something or it's how we figure out why we're using a certain thing. There's just the tiniest little details that are going to make you into the professional that you want to be. Yeah. 
I think that's great. <laughs> I think you have, that is the defining statement I'm going to take from you on this episode, Rob. That's great. I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day and your busy schedule because you are on the mall to go ahead and talk to us because I know that you're probably exceptionally busy, which is not the norm for a lot of shops that aren't in the mall. Uh, but is there anything uh, that you wanted to let our listeners know, anything that you wanted to plug or anything like that? I mean, I think the classic stuff is is all we got to – uh, plug really. Uh, we got the website prismpiercing.com, P R Y S M piercing.com. On there, there's uh, we have a little web store. We have our t shirts that were uh, we designed up for the uh, for body piercers. I do like your t shirts yeah, quite a bit, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're the periodic table of body piercing. So, just our kind of uh, favorite piercing, uh, uh, sorry, our favorite piercing uh, piercers, uh, businesses. Just, uh, just the rock star icons of our industry. Uh, we put them all together in the, the periodic table. And uh, yeah, just a little fun favorites of ours. So those are available on the, uh, the website. Um, of course, like us on Instagram at Prism Piercing. That's always kind of something fun. We're doing uh, the 31 Days of Gold right now. Just a little promo we're doing. Show, showcasing a lot of fun gold uh gold pieces that we have here at the studio. And for our listeners that don't follow them already, that's always something that I looked forward to every year because Rob takes exceptionally oh. great pictures of jewelry, which you'll know as soon as you start following them. So it's always nice to see like your Instagram feed full of like all that rad jewelry from our industry. Yeah, it's fun. I've actually just did a huge photo today. We had great weather here. Uh, in the wine, it was overcast and cold as hell, uh, which is for me the best time to go yep. take photos. Um, <laughs> uh, what else we got? Uh, 2018, we're gonna have a lot of fun things going on in 2018, including uh, we'll be getting around on a tour with uh, some teaching. So, we did one of our classes just this last uh, September in uh, Montana, which was great, uh, specialty ear stuff, and we're gonna have a lot more coming up in uh, 2018. So the dates on that and hopefully be coming to a city near you uh, so you can get your learn on and we'll learn all the uh, all the things that they didn't tell you you can sip on the Kool-Aid bit <laughs> who knows where that will take us like I mean I I really do hope that you get out and explain a few things uh, to a lot of our listeners who are body piercers because I think it would be really valuable and it's always nice I've stressed it in the past that it is great to travel around and guest to people but when you do have piercers that have a plethora of information uh, and a lot of experience under their belt, such as yourself, I always think it is a really great thing is if you can't make it to conference, you can sometimes take a little bit of your funds and spend it by going to see piercers and taking their classes because it's always nice to get that information, even if you can't make the trek to conference, which you should, but if you can't, it's always great to either supplement or it's always great to take a class such as the ones that you offer to either supplement, you know, not replace, but give you a stepping stone to conference. I think, yeah, I think conference is only one of those. I mean, there's so many avenues to learn from, um, again, be it classes that are taught by other piercers or shadow spots or huge, um, I learned so much from having guests in. Um, I mean, I don't get out to as many shops as I'd like to, but getting out to the different shops and, and having people in my shop, it's huge. You know, I had a piercer come into my shop and start asking me questions. And I was like, holy crap, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't ask, I didn't think you're going to ask these questions. And it's, it's great to be questioned on things. So the, the world works great. You just got to live in it. 
Ain't that the truth? Well, thanks so much, uh, Rob, for talking with us, and uh, happy holidays no to you and your family. And uh, we you will well. uh, hopefully see each other very soon. up a lot of extremely valid points about having a studio in a mall. Hopefully the term, novelty stores, catches on. Rob and I recorded this right before Christmas, so his 31 Days of Gold just wrapped up. But that doesn't mean you can't check out all 31 amazing pieces on his Instagram, which can be found as Prism Piercing. As for his other work, you can see his and many other well-done piercings at prismpiercing.com. In other news, we recently created a Patreon for the podcast. We did this because since starting the podcast, many people have said or written to us saying they wish they could help us or express they didn't know how to. With a Patreon, it allows our listeners to give us a one-time gift or as little as a dollar a month. By becoming a supporter, we would be able to provide better content, better recording, and possibly more frequency for episodes. This podcast is important to me because it provides me the chance to get unspoken topics out to many up-and-coming piercers, but also to experienced people in our industry. It provides a platform for topics to be discussed and enables us to have recordings of interviews of people within our industry. This also allows us to keep these recordings for future generations of piercers and our industry. If you'd like to donate, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash real talk a piercing podcast i would also like to thank our ongoing sponsors of the podcast other couture jewelry's owner mike knight has recently been busy with his limited edition aegis rings these rings are available to be fully customized but you had better hurry since they are limited to only 150 pieces you can view these amazing pieces on his instagram our other sponsor goldheart woodworks has been busy producing those amazing handcrafted displays that really bring your showroom to the next level Derek and his co-worker Lars have been working on something big for early 2018. To find out as soon as it's announced, give his company a follow on social media as Goldheart Woodworks. You can find more information about these companies under the Sponsors tab on our website, realtalkapiercingpodcast.com. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free.